Good morning. There we go. Good morning, everybody. How's my uh, level? I think a little higher, Alan. Higher, higher. I'm now. I'm yelling. That's good. That sounds pretty good. Uh, good morning again. Uh, just a, a couple items before we start. Um, as some of you know, I've, I've been stating this. I'm taking a class on online preaching, and one of our assignments was to post and promote a video, the, the ones that we've done a few and we were supposed to pick, the one that we liked the most. And the only one, the only one that was an option was this one. It was the only one that came out uh, decently. The rest were crazy, uh, crazy bad. But <coughs> anyway, one of the uh, parts of the assignment is to make a thumbnail and you see these on YouTube and stuff all the time, but you don't uh, you don't realize, or I didn't realize, that you actually have to make these things. So that is, uh, yeah. So uh, in the coming months, there's going to be more of these. It's like three, three and a half minutes long. Uh, what we want to do, which is, oh, this is open up an avenue for us to reach out to unbelievers and believers who are not into God's Word, and us. We tried to make it as entertaining as possible. There's a great cameo from Chris. Everybody tells me about, oh, Chris is great in that video. I'm like, what? (laughs) But it's true. It's true. But, um, you know, these are, and and if you have ideas on things, we want to make like three to five minute or even two minute videos that address uh, certain things like like the next one we're going to do is on addiction. Um, that's for our my final project for this course. We're going to do addiction stuff, and it's going to be uh, what you know uh, topics that the Bible addresses that people out there uh, need addressed. Uh, and of course, that means all of us. But uh, it's again, they're, it's they're basically going to be made for those who are not. Um, dedicated to God's word. It sounds weird to say it that way, but you know, that's what we're after anyway. So, uh what's going to happen will so with this has been promoted <laughs> put online. And so we're we're asking everybody if you could go go find it's on our website, it's on our Facebook page, it's on YouTube, which is the Grace and Truth Ministries YouTube page and uh, spread it around, you know, send it to people. Uh, watch it first, then, you know, if you're, like, too embarrassed to say this is your pastor or this is your church, then I understand. Uh, second item is the fact that uh, I promised you that we're going to do a couple of classes on, can you get all that? Look at that, that's great. So a couple of classes on the rapture and the second coming. I'm not ready yet to do that. I've got more work to do, but I just wanted to let you know that it's in the works. Uh, that This is just a diagram of dispensationalism by Clarence Larkin. I have his book. It's He was a draftsman, as you can see. And, uh, anyway, so we're still going to do that. Uh, the topic of the second coming comes up again in Second Thessalonians. So that's when I think I'm going to do that. So just so you know. Uh, my third item is that if you have any questions or concerns uh, about teaching, about certain doctrines, just to remind you, you can email me. Uh, if you if you need counsel on anything, it would be completely uh, confidential. Um, if you needed help with anything, if you needed 
whatever. You know, if you just needed to contact somebody or contact me about anything, I just wanted to throw it out there. If you go on the website at where it says contact us, if you click on letters at uh, CG Truth, that goes directly to me. And uh, so if you need help with anything, need to talk, whatever, I just want to let you know that I'm, that I'm there for you. All right. So let's open up in prayer and let's uh, all together be uh, thankful and grateful for God's word and for our gathering and for uh, all that he does for us. So with humility and reverence, let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the gift of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has created the church. He is the head and we are the body. And within the church there are many members, all of which have different functions, different personalities. And you have put us all together in unity and caused us to love one another and to support one another, pray for one another, and to create a family like heaven on earth. And uh, we are so grateful, Father, that through him, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice on the cross, that you have given us your truth. You have given each of us individually the ability to grow in grace and knowledge and to know you and to live an exceeding abundant life. Uh, And also to do that together with one another in the body of Christ. We thank you, Father, for your love and for your word. We thank you for the spirit within that brings it alive. So we ask you, Father, that through your spirit, that each of us would be enlightened, guided together individually, and and we thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All rise, please.
Uh, today we're moving ahead in First Thessalonians and speaking now today learning about the relationship in the congregation between the leadership and those who are so led. Uh, one of the things that brought it to mind to me was the stethoscope. And this came from, well, I don't know where this came from, but uh, I actually, I worked in an emergency room years ago and had to actually use one of these back when uh, blood pressure cuffs were old-fashioned kind. But anyway, um, the the thing about a stethoscope is that you're you're listening more than skin deep, right? So a doctor's listening to your heart or your lungs, and it, it speaks of a care that you know they care. Hopefully they care. But if you have a good doctor, he cares. He cares about what your lungs sound like, what your heart sounds like, and uh, and listening therefore has to be more than skin deep. And when it comes to the the royal family, that we have to be involved in one another's lives. And I don't, of course, mean that in a, you know, violating someone's privacy or intrusive way, but to actually care about one another more than skin deep. And that makes for a good leader. A leader cares about the people he leads. And that's not just the pastor. That's, I mean, the deacon's uh, all throughout the church, deacons and also parents, uh, fathers, husbands, uh, and if you in any leadership position that you have, if you don't care about the people you're leading, you're not going to be a good leader. And that all, but it also means, as we'll see, it's a heck of a lot of work to lead. It really is. It's sacrificial. Uh, the Bible says that we are to discover how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. And if I don't know anything about you, I don't know how I would do that. People would say, you say, pray for me. Well, what do you need? You know, and, and if I don't, you know, for some case, in some cases, we can't know all the details about people. Not all the details, but you know what I mean. Like, um, and you just pray for them in general. But I find that my prayers are far more effective, at least they seem to be, when um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm distracted. When I'm, uh, um, you know, I know the specifics of what a person needs or maybe going through. Like, for instance, on our, that's my, uh, sorry, guys, my monitor's off. I'll fix it in a second. But <clears throat> I knew that monitor would distract me from time to time. I know, right? Sorry, sorry, sorry. So um, the, uh, the concern that we have for one another, it should be manifested in prayer life. It should be manifested in sacrifice. It should be manifested in toil and in work for one another. And you know, I know there's a lot of people who don't like to hear that because they want Christianity to be just about them and they're alone with God. And, and that's a, an enormous part of Christianity. I'm not... Yeah, I certainly do never take that away as you're, you're alone with the Lord. But when it, you know, a huge aspect of the scripture is about how we are with one another and what we do for one another. And hence, you know, the body of Christ is given spiritual gifts so that we build up one another. So, um, you know, a great leader, for instance, is Moses. Moses toiled. Uh, he protected 
And this is what a leader must do. He must lead, he must protect, and he must care. He or she. Uh, he toiled, Moses toiled, he led them, he protected them. And in prayer, he protected them. After Israel uh, built the golden calf at the base of Mount Sinai, God said to Moses, step aside. I'm going to destroy them, and I'm going to make a nation out of you. How would you, have, you and I uh, responded to that? Been like, go get them, God. You know, my compassion might have been, make it quick, make it as least painful as possible. But no, Moses said, uh, Moses prayed for them. And, he, and what Moses cared about mostly was God, God himself and God's reputation. And this tells us something about this relationship that we have one to another, that if you're not serving the Lord first, if you're not doing your job, your, what you have to do is unto the Lord, if you're doing it as unto people, you're not going to find the strength, the endurance, the fortitude to do it right. You're not. You have to do it as unto the Lord. Here's why. And in the relation, just say the relationship between the congregation and the pastor. I'm not going to give great messages all the time. I know you're saying to yourself, "Oh, Pastor Joe, how you know? Yes, you no, I don't. I'll lay eggs up here." Right? I'm not going to say the things that you want to hear all the time. I'm not going, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I, whatever, I let you down somehow. But the congregation too, you know, maybe you're, you're not, I, maybe the warning is put out there and the doctrine is taught and people don't follow it. And the pastor said, you know, what did Moses say about his congregation? I have a wonderful congregation, but Moses had the worst in history. And he had a lot of them. Talk about a mega church, a mega church full of losers. And, and, and Moses would prayed for them and cared for them. Why? Because of them? And that's what we have to get over. That person didn't respond the right way, didn't say thanks, didn't do what I told him to. I warned you about that. That's called uh, admonition. We admonish. That's how I warned you. And they didn't do it. And so I get up on my little pedestal. And what, and what have I done? I've broken the relationship. Not in terms of, you know, the world's uh, standards of relationship, but God's standard. God's standard is that we love one another as God has loved us, as Christ has loved us. Is what he said to the disciples the night before he died. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he washed their feet. And they, you know, are you willing? And that's what he said to them. Do you know what I've done to you? And he told them, wash one another's feet. And of course, the Mennonites took that, you know, literally gross, but whatever. Uh, that's fine. But, you know, what he meant was, are you willing to serve one another? And, uh, and that's what makes the relationship between the congregation and the pastor, which is what we're referencing here today. We have to serve the Lord first and foremost. That's what Moses did. So the stethoscope, both leaders and congregation. You've got to know something about me. And again, it doesn't have to be personal stuff. <laughs> you don't want to know that anyway. But I've got to know stuff about you. And that means it's got to go more than skin deep. 
You know, like if somebody's somebody's suffering or somebody's, you know, some, say someone's even rejecting God's word. I say, well, you made your own bed, sleep in it. It's not my problem, dude. But if you're a member of the royal family, I've taken, I have not taken an attitude of Christ towards you, but a selfish one. This is, you know, Christianity is just about me. Now, what can I do for someone who has rejected God's word? I don't know. But I should check. Right? What I mean by this is, that, you know, take it up to God. <laughs> That's not a bad, uh, you know, put your megaphone, pray for them and say, hey, you know, what is it, God? Open doors for me, God. And what this shows is that you actually care. And, you know, and all the doctrines that you may learn, and I'm learning more and more and more as time goes on. I am, it's awesome how much I'm learning. But the th- all of these doctrines that I'm learning, even learning Greek language, has brought out to me That all of this knowledge means nothing, God says, if you don't love. That means nothing if you don't have perseverance, if you don't have care and love and sacrifice and forgiveness and goodness and that you're doing good. I mean, good works. It's all for naught. It's just knowledge. And didn't Paul say that? If I have the knowledge, but I don't have love, in 1 Corinthians 13, I'm just a noisy gong. And so love builds, and there's many other things besides love. I'll keep out my stethoscope. You never know if I'll need, if I have like a heart attack or something. So uh, today's lesson is not just for leaders, but it's also for those who are led. In, the, in fact, it is mostly, as Paul relates here, about those who are led, and how they respond to their leadership. Good leadership is absolutely necessary in every walk of life. Leaders need to understand that it is sacrificial, that it's hard work, that you've got to teach and admonish, and that's not always going to be positive uh, or not positively received. And, uh, and you've got to care. And you know, you're not a good leader if you're missing any of those. But you've got to do so for the royal family because they belong to the Lord. Uh, and that's, again, first and foremost to the Lord. The need for leadership is obvious. Uh, without leadership, chaos results. In any group of people, if everybody's allowed to go their own way, there's no goals are set, no goal is set, and the whole thing falls apart. It happens in families. It happens in everything. It happens in churches. For instance, is, uh, is written in Judges 21-25. This is the last line of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And that, be- that caused a problem. And what's interesting about this is that, there's, yeah, there's no king in Israel because none have been elected king. There is no king. And that's the way God wanted it. So when he says there's no king in Israel, but there actually was a king in Israel, and it was God. God was their king. And this is what upset Samuel when they really wanted a human king. Samuel said, God was your king, but since you want Samuel, uh, sorry, uh, since you want Saul, you're going to get Saul and everything that comes with him. And so in, in you know, as nothing's a mistake in human history as 
Saul is king number one. Who's king number two? Is David. And how are these two guys so different? Because one is a bad king and one is a great king. David was a great king. Why? And that's where we're going to see today. In our society, affirmative action has gone on steroids, hasn't it? I mean, why are people... I need to... That's not it. That's not it. Ah, I know how to do this. Uh, Never mind. Sorry. All right, anyway, sorry. I'm so easily distracted. In our society, affirmative, affirmative action has gone on steroids. What do I mean by that? People are in positions of authority because of their, for all other reasons, skin color, gender, sexual orientation, and so on, everything besides ability. And what does it cause? Well, it, it causes us to have leaders who can't lead, and the institutions that we depend upon fall apart. Like, for instance, the educational system, public education. We're trying to get Maggie into a first-grade school that's not public, and it is extremely hard because they're all full. Everybody, Nobody wants their kids to go to public school anymore, which is so sad because you know, I, my public school was great, and I'm not that old. Isaiah, 30, Isaiah 3, 4, God says, And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. This God predicted to them, that your leaders are going to be little kids. We have a lot of leaders. This is what D.C. looks like, right? (laughs) Not everybody, but there's quite a few who are in leadership positions and shouldn't be there. The church is no different. God has clearly, throughout his word, uh, stated that there are pastors, there's deacons, there's elders, there's leaders. And the church is to have good Leaders. What kind of men are they supposed to be? And that's important. So there's in uh, Timothy, First and Second Timothy, and Titus are the pastoral epistles, and you have in there Paul writing to pastors, and he describes for them clearly what a good pastor or a good leader, a good deacon is supposed to be. So let's look at our passage. Go to First Thessalonians five, verse twelve. I'm changing this one now, aren't I? So bizarre. Yeah, it's on something else, though, Raj. It's on like uh, it's like looking for the antenna on top of the roof. <laughs> so I did the one rem- the remotes that we have work both televisions. So uh, it's you know uh, yeah I tried anyway. Sorry. <laughs> All right, 1 Thessalonians 5.12, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Okay, so there's three things there. There's three participles, and they're all related to one another. We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor, that's one, have charge over you, that's two, and give you instruction, that's three. And now here comes the part in the congregation is in verse 13, and that you esteem them very highly. Thank you, Alan. 
that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Notice, not because of their amazing personality. I know. You're like, come on, Joe, you have it, right? No, no. Not because of their looks, not, not even because of their title, because of their work. And then he says, live in peace with one another. Now, live in peace with one another, we're going to move to the next section, because it, seem, it seems like it's not part of this section, but the next section. So the next section after this, after Paul deals with leadership and congregation, is the conduct of us all. And that's how he's going to finish the book. So the theme here in the first half is that Christian leaders have to work hard, uh, lead, protect, and care for the flock, and teach. The Greek word used for teaching is teaching with warning. And it's certainly, of all the leaders that I think of in the scripture that have had to deal with, you know, toil and sacrifice, I think of Moses. Moses had to really deal with problems and and people problems. Become the hardest things is people problems. Uh, But in all of this, Moses has to first serve the Lord. And if he doesn't serve the Lord first, if Moses really is serving the Exodus generation, he's going to burn out. He's not even going to last a year. But he keeps at it for 40 long years. Moses is a great leader. He prays for them. He intercedes for them. He leads them. He guides them. They hate him. They hate him for it. And yet, he serves the Lord. You know, why is God going to put us in situations like that? Testing our faith. Right? Down here on earth, we have to deal with all kinds of people. Even the people we love are at times difficult to deal with. And you know, it's a test. These trials, as James wrote, sorry, as James wrote, are for our endurance. They're to increase the quality of our faith. God gives us these trials on purpose. They're only here on earth. So what did we see right? Say, well, I don't want to do all of this. But what's right before this? The day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night. So for how long? Chris and I were talking about we have a really busy week coming up and we're chit-chatting on the way in about we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do that. And then it dawned on me, are we going to be able to do any of that today? It's Sunday. We can't call so-and-so to get this done or go over there. You know, we can't. There's so many things we can't do because places are closed. Can we do it today? And the answer is no. So why are we worrying about it today? It's so simple, isn't it? As Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. It has enough trouble. Today has enough trouble of its own. Stick with today. And imminency. The Lord's coming back at any time. This is, very well, could be my last day. So can you take that next step? Can you go that extra mile? Eh, If it's my last day, okay. And that's the attitude he's getting at. So Moses is a great example. You know who else is a great example is Peter. Uh, Peter, as the Lord, last thing he said, well, last thing recorded that he says to Peter in the Gospels, do you love me, Peter? Peter said, you know I love you, Lord. And the Lord said, feed my sheep. Feed them. 
You know, you, and why? Because they belong, he said, feed my sheep, right? Not your sheep, Peter, they're not yours, they're mine. And when you lead and serve others, you have to remember that. We have to remember, and when we see them as the Lord's, then we'll want to go more than skin deep in terms of knowing, you know, what's going on with you. Then, for the congregation, the second half of the theme is love them. Yeah, and see that nice long word, super abundantly? That's exactly what this Greek word means. You have in uh, New American Standard has it as uh, esteem them very highly. Very highly is okay. This is the, the Greek word is parasu, and parasu is the very word that the Lord uses in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, if you greet those who greet you, if you only greet those who greet you, if you only love those who love you, he says, how are you parasu? How are you extraordinary? In other words, how are you my disciple? And this word is huper ek parasu. Paul puts two prefixes on a word that already means to abound, and so this word means to superabound. Uh, so, you are to esteem your leaders, this would be pastors, deacons, and all leaders, esteem them super abundantly in love, and please notice, and I would underline this in your heart, uh, for their work, right? not for them. It's not the personality, it's not the position, it's not the title. It's the work. And see what Paul, Paul is bringing together here, the leaders and the congregation, and he's saying to the leaders, work your tail off. Toil, this word means to strive, toil, work, teach, warn them. They're not going to like all the admonishing. They're not going to like that. Always. Uh, and, and, and teach and admonish and, um, uh, and yeah. <laughs> and so then the congregation is to what? Esteem them for this. And as we'll see now coming up, as your New American Standard says, appreciate. This is the Greek word adenai. And adenai comes from oida, which means to know. Uh, so, where you have, and let's read it again, he says, we request of you or ask you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor. What Paul really writes here, appreciate is fine, but I, I further like the root meaning of the word oida. And oida always means to know. And, and this is how F.F. Uh, F. Bruce does actually translate it that he says, we ask you, brothers, to know those who work hard among you. And so what would he mean by know? And I, I think that's why the uh, translators translated appreciate. And it's not know them, you know, in terms of personal things. What you should know about a leader, a pastor, a deacon, if this is true, that they do actually work. You should know that they toil, that they work, and that they sacrifice. And it's important to, because you are to pray for them and appreciate them. And, you know, it's, and, and so for, for getting back to uh, here, there's a lot of people, men, 
get into the want to get into the pastoral or get behind the pulpit because they like this esteem super abundantly part. Yeah, I'll get I, everybody's going to love me and look up to me, and they want positions of power, right? power and wealth that has invaded the church as well as it invades every aspect of society. But when a, when someone says, "I want this esteem," they're forgetting what comes before it. Do you know how much work it is? Do you know how much you have to sacrifice? Do you know that they're not going to like everything that you say if you teach the truth? Do you know that you have to lead and care, right? Do you, like everything that goes into this, it's, in, it's a lot of sacrifice and a lot of time. And you're not going to be appreciated for it all the time. It's kind of like being a mom. <laughs> right? All the moms are going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you sacrifice? Did you give? Did the kids care? Nope. They were just like, give me more. Give me more. Congregations are not that much different. Not you, of course. I don't mean that. But it ha- look, it happens. Like You're sinners. I'm a sinner. I'm not going to get it right all the time. You're not going to get it right all the time. But here's what Paul wants us to do to be unified. Because if we start focusing on each other in terms of our personalities and our likes and dislikes, Satan's going to come in and cause discord. He's going to cause division. So appreciate means to know. We should know. And the proof of it is in the fruit. Right? How do you know? It should be, you know, videotape what the pastor's doing or what the deacons are doing. What'd you do today? What'd you do yesterday? You know. But you know it by its fruit. So to appreciate here is to know that your leaders work hard, they teach, they sacrifice for your guidance, protection. And care, and deacons are included in this as well. So the great question is, why does God want his leaders working hard and sacrificing in the congregation, esteeming them? And that is for the fact that we all get fed. I get fed. You get fed the word of God. We all uh, uh, grow in grace and knowledge. We increase our spiritual lives together. When we stay and we stay unified, and that makes us strong against the attacks of the devil that are going to try and divide. Uh, <clears throat> it eliminates lazy, selfish, unappreciative behavior towards one another, which Satan uses to cause division. Uh, and most of all, all of us living as unto the Lord. So we must do what we do in the body of Christ in our individual ministries, unto one another, and with one another, we must do it as unto the Lord. What does the Lord want? Uh, what does he want his ministry doing? What does he want grace and truth ministries doing? You know, is it always going to be the same? As you know, I, I've changed a few things. Not every I did a couple of classes on nobody likes change for that reason. I understand. Change is difficult. We we all get in ruts, but but look, we're all to grow, and, and therefore, technically, we must all change. All of us must. If you're going to mature, then you should change. Your perspective should change. How you look at things should change. Your behavior should change. And it's the same for all of us. So we have to fulfill our roles because the Lord tells us to, not because people... Either deserve it or they don't. 
We have to fulfill our roles in the body of Christ because the Lord tells us to. Why did Moses lead his, why did he lead them through the desert for 40 years? God told him to. That was his reason. He worshiped the Lord. He messed it up at the end when he got mad at the congregation. I still I find it hilarious that poor, poor Moses um, just lost it after 40 years. 40 years of building up and he finally blew his top at that congregation and then he couldn't go into the promised land because of that. And you know, and God said to him, "You misrepresented me. You stood up there in front of them and you said what you said as my representative and you represented me badly." And so that's why you can't go in. Right? So all of us, not only are we living unto one another as unto the Lord, but we represent him to one another. So the congregation must be careful not to roast the pastor. (laughs) The pastor must be careful not to roast the congregation. It's easy to do, though. Like, who doesn't love a bit of gossip or slander or let me tell you like what do you think of so and so and we have to avoid that that is clearly marked out in the new testament that no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth okay so uh first we have this word diligently labor we'll get through these pretty quick this means to toil or to work hard so getting back to first thessalonians 5 12 we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord. Diligently labor is this word. I didn't put the Greek word up, but it's properly translated. It means to toil or to work hard. Paul uses it for himself in several instances that he toiled and worked hard. Right? Is a Christian life hard work? There it is. Yes, it is. You can't avoid it. I didn't get in this to work. <laughs> you know, and in and, and other passages, Paul says, he even says of physical work, if you don't work, you don't eat. And you see, in our world, in our current society, I put the devil behind all bad policy. That way I don't have to get political behind the pulpit. During COVID, I went a little overboard on that, but, but it just made me mad anyway. But, uh, you know, what is Satan designed to do here in our society? Keep people not working, not innovating, not using their minds. You know, uh, forget about the American dream. Just, you know, you get on welfare. Get on, let the government support you. And why would Satan want that? Because when you have a populace that's uneducated, ignorant, without energy, right, all of them have type 2 diabetes, and they're all weak, Mentally and physically, they're easy to rule. They're easy to control. That's why he wants it. God in Christianity says, work. I gave you that mind to use. Use it. Isn't it wonderful that in his book he has not given us every detail and how to handle this situation and that situation? Is there a procedure in here? I used to be an analytical chemist long another lifetime ago. And as what I did was analyze stuff for Duracell. And we had procedures. So as a chemist you and you had to follow the procedures or your data would not be valid. 
So I would get a sample of whatever, and then I'd have to do a chemical process that had steps to it in order to get my data, to get my result. And we had reams, you know, piles and piles of these procedures. You got used to them and you followed, followed the procedure. Do you find that in the scripture? Where's the chemical procedure? It's not here. So what you got to do, I knew this would come in again. You got to use this on life, right? There's a problem. There's an issue with me or with you or with the world. I've got to put these on and say, you know, what's, what is it about? And to do that, I've got to use this, my brain. I've got to know the Word. And then I take the Word, I take the doctrines, and I wisely and expertly use them in my personal situation. And I figure out what to say. I figure out what to do. And I'm so glad for God the Holy Spirit, because Holy Spirit just hit me in the head and said, well, you don't really totally figure it out, right? The Holy Spirit is within you to guide you. So when I want to, I will, I want to work hard for the Lord, the Spirit's going to give me the power to do it. There's none of this like I'm going to pray to the Spirit and He's just going to pick me up off the couch and move me like a puppet to do the things that God wants me to do. That don't happen. You've got to want it. And it takes work. If you go back to 1 Thessalonians 1.3, let's get back a page or two. Paul says in verse 3, we constantly bearing in mind, in his prayer, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love. Yeah, labor of love. Who knew it was a biblical term? Do you love doing this labor? That, uh-uh, I don't. He's a, he, he drives me crazy. I don't, I don't want to do this. She drives me crazy. I don't want to do this. Who are you doing it to then? For. Unto. All right. There's that beautiful preposition, unto. Now you get to fill in that blank. Are you doing this as unto the Lord? But how long does God want me to do this? When the Lord says to Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. What is, Peter in that same conversation says, well, what are you going to do with John? What about John? Does the Lord say, Peter, you're going to be taken. I'm going to give you a little insight. Wink, wink. You're going to be taken to a place and someone's going to kill you. You're not going to want to go and you're going to be martyred. Well, is the same thing going to happen to John? And the Lord said, that's none of your business. How long? Just today. When our minds get on tomorrow, next week, and the next week. <laughs> right? I have a super busy week coming up. Right? Me and Catherine, you know too, right? Was it final, finals? It's finals week. We're a little... Me and Catherine are college students. <laughs> Go Warriors, right? Exactly true. We go to the same university. Uh, but, um, you know, it's busy. So I could, in my mind, be living in the dread of what I need to do on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and I've, I'm given today up. 
I'm saying to Satan, take today, take it from me while I worry about tomorrow. God has set us free from time in two ways. He's made us eternal. And then he said, I'm coming back any day. So, don't just live for today. Just do it today. And enjoy it. I know it's hard at times. So, a labor of love. Go to 1 Timothy 5.17. 1 Timothy 5.17. But Catherine, this is your last semester, right? Oh, you're so lucky. I'm looking forward to that. 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. See that word work hard? It's the exact same word that Paul uses here to the Thessalonians. Next, they have charge over you. You can stay here because Paul uses this word in the same passage. Uh, This word means to lead, protect, and care. All three are involved in the meaning of this word. So, And that's important because leading or being the boss is part of it. But also caring for those who are under you is part of it. Protecting them. Yeah, I can lead and boss around and not care what happens to them. And that's not it. Not in Christianity. The leader's got to lead. He's the boss, so he's got to have the... There's another thing here. The boss has to have guts to make decisions. That's a, it's a hard one for me because it takes... See, it takes confidence to make decisions because here's what people do. We know this, right? I'm going to make a decision and I want everybody to agree. You are no leader. You are no leader there's always going to be some who are going to disagree. And the bigger the congregation, the more of those will be. So that's why you know, God did not give me the 400-person congregation because he knew I wouldn't be able to handle it. Probably. I don't know why he didn't give it to me, but I'm fine. I'm fine with this in the basement. I'm, I'm cool with that. But, you know, it's, you, you, cannot, you have to have the courage... And so where are you going to get the courage? Where do you get the guts to say, you know, I think this is the direction we need to go in. Get behind me, let's go. Where do you get the courage to do that? Lord. You got See, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, how would you be confidently knowing the direction that you should be leading in? You can't know. Then you're just blindly thrown at a dartboard. But this also takes toil. You have to pray. It can't just be willy-nilly off the top of your head. I, I've done that. <laughs> People here know I've done that. I've learned, my, learned, my, uh, learned from my mistakes, but we all make them. Uh, you have to have confidence in your relationship. That means your relationship with God has got to be solid and strong, or you can't make those decisions. Not confidently. And that, and I hate to, I don't hate to say it, but for, you know, it means you have to lay aside. If you have a lifestyle of sin, it's got to go, or you won't walk with the Lord, and you won't be able to make good decisions. 
especially as a leader, sinful lifestyle has to go. And I know it's like for some of us, and I am one of those, that God has to rip it from your cold, dead hands before you're willing to give it up. I admire the people who give it up easier. There are some, I th- it seems, they just give it up easier. <laughs> uh, so, in uh, 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who rule well, that's the same word that's used here in Thessalonians. Right? So, the elders, that's a presbyteros, the Greek word, it does mean to be older. It means a leader. Likely means pastor, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have a teaching position. Our, our deacons here don't want, at least they, I think they don't want a teaching position. So uh, if you do, guys, let me know. We'll, we'll work you into the rotation. But, um, you know, it's still, they have authority. They have a job to do, and it's, it's an important one. And they have to do it well. Right, so rule well means to lead, protect, and care. And the last one is to give instruction. But this, there's a, there's a Greek word, didaskalos, that means a teacher. There's a verb with that that means to teach. But this is a word that means to teach and admonish or warn. And that comes, that's again, that's something else that you have to have courage to do. You have to have the courage to be able to tell people you shouldn't do that. That's going to cause incredible misery in your life. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt others. It's in, in Proverbs, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. So, um, yet, again, it's a leader. So the leadership position, getting back to this word to know, Right? You've, you, to appreciate is this word to know. And if your leaders are doing what they're doing, you need to know that about them. That what they're doing is sacrificial. It's time. It's toil. It's difficult. And they don't always want to do it. I don't want to admonish people. I mean, all of us at core just want everybody to agree with everything we say, right? <laughs> at core. But we know, be- we know better that there's a higher truth than my own personal feelings of being liked. There's a much higher truth, and it's far more important. So we've got to instruct, which means to warn. <coughs> we'll see this word. Let's see this word in another context. Go to 2 Thessalonians 3, and we'll be done here shortly. Second, you know, you've heard me say that before, but... 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 14. Again, Paul is unifying the congregation in the, the very real schism that can occur between leadership and those who are led. This happens in societies, happens throughout the world, right? Or... Even children against parents. It's, it's, it's just a thing. You, you just want to rebel against authority. It's an easy place for Satan to cause division. <coughs> if any, uh, verse 14, 2 Thessalonians 3, 14. 
If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. That word admonish is our word right here to give instruction. That's in our passage. Now, is any, you want to do that? Take special note of the person who's not, not so it's not that you, someone you don't like, right? It's someone, as Paul said, doesn't obey the instruction that's in the letter. And they're obvious, they're making that obvious. That that has to be clear here because it's not like we're running around or the leadership is going to run around and see what you're doing or what anybody's doing on their personal time. But <clears throat> is that it becomes obvious that they're not obeying the things that are in here, Paul's letter. And it, it takes courage to say, I'm not going to associate with you for the, for the purpose of not that uh, – you know, you want revenge or you want to hurt them, but in fact, quite the opposite. That the shame here that Paul mentions is this conscience that gets hurt of the fact that I'm, I'm a believer who's not living as unto the Lord. And so shame here would be legitimately my conscience is hurt. And somebody who loves the Lord and me more than being liked by me took a stand and said, you know what? What you're doing is hurting yourself, and I'm going to make sure that you know that. And you can do that in a very loving way. <coughs> All right, so back to 1 Thessalonians 5.13, and now we get to the congregation. <coughs> the response that God desires is that the congregation esteem them super abundantly in love for their work. We shouldn't, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, phrase in love is almost tacked on there. We should understand and not put that aside, that this esteem or appreciation is in love. So this is God's love. The leaders are not always going to get it right, but if they're working hard to serve you, then we should, all of us, esteem them super abundantly in love. Again, people, there's plenty of people who want the position, but they don't want the work. And it's, we see it in all walks of life. Uh, <coughs> at the Continental Congress, Benjamin Franklin made a famous speech he didn't talk much at the Continental Congress. He wasn't much of a talker. But uh, he made a famous speech, and he said to all the delegates there in 1787, I think it was, or somewhere around there, that, um, that the leaders in our nation cannot be wealthy. He said that they cannot be in this. They cannot be in this form of government where the leaders serve the people, that they cannot be rich. We cannot have rich people seeking more riches in positions of power in our republic. Wow, right? You can't even run for office right now if you're not a millionaire or have people giving you millions. You can't even run. You don't even have a shot in the, to even get in the race. <clears throat> it's all been turned upside down. And, and why? Because Satan attacks. He attacks. He's constant. 
And he's constantly attacking us as well to reverse our priorities and say, well, in my serving or in my response to authority, it's about people. And it's not. It's not. It's in serving people, yeah, but you serve the Lord first and foremost. <clears throat> the, the, every spiritual gift, every person in the body of Christ has work to do. And it's going to be difficult at times. So, first is the absolute wrong motivation for doing anything in God's plan, which is plain in the Scripture. It is the absolute wrong motivation to seek, to be esteemed, rather than to work hard as unto the Lord. Uh, Secondly, we can fail to notice that the esteem for Anyone is for diligent labor, leading, protecting, caring, teaching, admonishing. And that, again, is going to be hard at times. So it's vital that we have good leaders and good teachers and congregations who esteem them highly. Uh, Guidance, leadership, protection, and care demands hard work. It demands sacrifice. It demands time. It demands courage. You have to have the courage and the guts to admonish and warn and to lead and to know you might get it wrong. And if you get it wrong, uh, people are going to point it out. Not always, but generally there's someone to point it out. And if that happens, you have to say, well, you know, not fight back, not get your revenge. Because who are you serving here? The Lord. And this wonderful dynamic that I've worked out in my mind because... This is one of those areas where the pendulum, there's a pendulum here. I say, well, I'm serving the Lord, right? So I'm going to go all the way over here, this pendulum. I'm serving the Lord. And what does that mean? I don't care about you. I don't give a rat's you-know-what about you. Crash and burn for all I care. You made your bed, sleep in it. I live as under the Lord. And I'm violating a lot of Scripture by doing that. Which you, if, you're li- if you're living as under the Lord, you should know that. So then you go all the way over to the other side. And you say, I'm just going gonna, gonna to live for people. Right? It's all people. People, people, people. And then talk about burnout. You're going to be burned out. And all that time wasted about why did so... Why, did they appreciate me? Did they like me? Did they... Did they you know, did they... <coughs> they know what I did for them? And all of that... Wasted time. So you've got to find your middle ground. And somewhere in the middle is this true dynamic of, I love the people of God. And also, you know, I'm not living for them. I'm living for the Lord. But I actually really care about them. Because they're the Lord's. So, both... We'll get our stethoscope for our last time. Both leaders and congregation have to listen a little bit deeper than skin deep. Skin deep is over on this side. If this is me and the Lord, I don't, you know, I don't care about you at all. This, if you're over on this side, you've put aside the stethoscope and you've done, you know, you got a scalpel and cut them open and looked inside. You know, it's a little too intrusive. So you find your find your place here. 
and care, pray, love others, both leaders and congregation. The church is God's gift to the world. Right? It's the body of Christ. The greatest gift to the world is Jesus Christ. Right now on earth, while Christ sits at the right hand of God, the church is God's gift to the world. How we are with one another, uh, what family we are with one another, unity that we have with one another, and our witness of the Lord to the world will all depend upon how unified we are. And that came straight from the words, uh, the mouth of our Lord. If you love one another, the world will know that you're my disciples. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for giving us the royal family, each of us, are priests in a nation of priests, a family of priests with a high priest who is Jesus Christ. Each of us are members of the body of Christ, and Christ is our head. Each of us are stones in the wall, and Christ is the cornerstone. Each of us together are the bride of Christ, and Christ is the groom. You have united us in ways that go beyond anything of this world. So we ask, Father, that through your wisdom and and your teaching and your word, that the leaders and those who are led by them would follow your way and instruction and therefore cause unity and keep off any attacks by the kingdom of darkness to cause division. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we'll take our offering. Um, Yeah. Let's pray for our offering. We thank you, Father, for the ability to give, and we ask, Father, that you bless this offering according to your will, and that it be used according to your will, and uh, the blessing of those who would hear your word. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Let's close in prayer. We thank you, Father, for our gathering. The final moments of our service are offered to anyone who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior. If you're listening to me and you have not believed in Christ, I ask you to please consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He will reveal himself to you if you consider him. There is only one Savior in the world, and it's him. Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who died on a cross and rose again three days later. He died for your sins. He is the only Savior. In all other religions, you're asked to work for heaven. In the one true religion, heaven is a gift to those who believe in Christ as their Savior. He died for you. 
so that you would be saved. Believe in Him. We thank You, Father, and bless this day. In Christ's name, Amen.